and we have a saviour which is why this day is good beyond compare amen praise the lord uh, please turn with me uh, or if you've got your finger still in your bible in john's gospel we will be reading the next portion in just uh, a short while but thinking of kingship i did mention it last week as well um, the subject of the monarchy is a somewhat controversial one in today's britain at least for some people. If you're a monarchist here this morning, it may shock you to even hear me say this, that the monarchy is controversial. But the reality is, our monarchy does not hold the near universal appeal that it once did, sadly. Our king, Charles III, was due to go on his first state visit to France last week. In the end, Charles's first state visit was to Germany, where he spoke in front of the German Bundestag, the German parliament, and received a positive reception. But the reality was that Charles's first visit was meant to be to France, our nearest neighbours. And that visit was cancelled because the French president was concerned about the level of public unrest in the country. Some had even scrawled messages of death to the king on the walls in the centre of Paris. How could a visiting king bring in the greetings and love from across the water face such a hostile reception? Well, right, we are to ask. How is it that the holiday plans of thousands of Britons have been upset by the protests of those seeking pay increases? After all, we're all feeling the squeeze, aren't we? Well, it took less than a week for the gentle yet dynamic preacher-healer from Nazareth to fall into the hands of an orchestrated plot to take him down. Jesus had become an inconvenient and popular figurehead for many of the Jewish people. Their religion had become tired and stuck in excessive and expensive ritual traditions, overseen by wealthy elites detached from the people. And those elites appeared to be in collusion with the hated Roman oppressors. Better to be rid of the Jesus threat, said the high priests and the elites. And so the plot was hatched. Even an insider from among the teacher's group of his most prominent disciples took his place among the conspirators. So where do you stand this Good Friday? Are you in favour of Jesus' kingship? Are you glad he sits on the throne of your life? Or would you rather keep a grip on your own affairs? Is Jesus the ultimate truth in your life, bringing you the greatest joy imaginable? Or is truth something you find hard to accept? Let's continue reading from John's Gospel. 
John chapter 19, beginning the second half of verse 16. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Here they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said, They divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that all was now completed and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on the stalk of a hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, it was the day of preparation. The next day was to be a special Sabbath, because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath. They asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Later, Joseph of Amrathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. 
He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it up with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb, which no one had ever been laid, in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. The Lord bless these readings of Scripture to us as we unpack them this morning. Uh, as I said, uh, we're looking at truth today. These uh, gospel accounts are eyewitness accounts. They are sworn testimony, as we've heard this morning. So we ought to listen well to them. If we're taking notes this morning, you might be helped to know the three points that I'm going to cover uh, as I continue. Firstly, trouble. Uh, Secondly, truth. And thirdly, testimony. Trouble, truth and testimony. Trouble was brewing in Paris. In fact, in the recent cost of living uh, protests, hundreds of protesters and some police officers have been severely injured in confrontations. When passions boil, the outcome is often dangerously unpredictable. And yet at the time of Jesus' trial, And this Passover celebration, trouble was brewing in Jerusalem. Though most people's minds were on the festival of Passover. Perhaps the greatest highlight of the Jewish calendar. But against that backdrop, a sinister plot had been hatched. To take care once and for all of the irritating troublemaker, Jesus from Nazareth. The ruling elites in Jerusalem knew very well about the volatile nature of the Jerusalem mob. They knew that actually, with the Romans in charge, they enjoyed some of the greatest peace and security possible. Conditions perfect for the religious authorities to continue looking after themselves, instead of looking after the people that God had entrusted to their care. On numerous occasions, they had sought for opportunities to bring Jesus down. By tripping him up on theological matters, trying to get him to break the law of God, trying to get him to break Roman law. Yet, try as they did, they could never get any of their charges to stick. Jesus was just too good, too righteous, and many came to love him. It's staggering that anyone could hate Jesus, isn't it? Well, Jesus made the Jewish authorities nervous for their future. He challenged their abuses of power and their twisting of scripture. He challenged it so consistently and so effectively that he drove them wild. That is the reality when faced with a supremely good and all-knowing God. He will either drive us to our knees in repentance and worship, or he will drive us mad 
We will do anything to be rid of him. We'll do anything to be rid of a mobile phone ringtone in church. Jesus can have that effect, can't he, on us? He can drive us to a place of either obedience and humility in uh, bowing our knees to him, subjecting ourselves to him, or he scares us away. So these Jewish authorities would do anything to be rid of him. And so they did. But if you notice from the scriptures, the accusations against Jesus basically boil down to, we don't like Jesus. Please kill him for us. When Pilate asked the mob what charges they were bringing against Jesus, they said, listen, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. He must have been doing something, Pilate. Otherwise we wouldn't have brought him here. We wouldn't have gone to all this effort to bring you this man. The details don't concern you, Pilate. Just get rid of our problem for us, like a good governor. You don't want to be responsible for any trouble on the Passover, do you? That's the trouble that was brewing. What about truth? Well, Pilate, just think of Pilate for a moment with these uh, charges, with this situation unfolding before him. He's faced with these impassioned demands on the Passover. And he was perplexed. Yet he had a sense of justice. Why should he execute this man? Yet the reality as we know it is that Pilate would allow the worst miscarriage of justice to occur on his watch. Why? Because he did not know the truth. Jesus said in verse 37, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. What was Pilate's response to Jesus' words? What is truth? What does our culture and our society say today? What is truth? Our culture denies objective truth. And so we risk risk joining hands with Pilate and sidelining Jesus for the sake of secular compromise. In the words of John Connor from the Terminator movies, There's no future but what we make for ourselves. That's the secular compromise. That's the dogma on the street. We are lords of our own destiny. What do you believe? Do you accept ultimate truth? Do you believe that today is Good Friday? Not just because you have a holiday. We know what the position of the religious authorities was. They wanted rid of Jesus. I want to suggest that that is what sinful, unregenerate people are all like. Whether or not they have a stake in a false religious system like the chief priest did or not. 
To us, in our normal state as rebels against God and his righteous rule, Jesus is a troublemaker. Surely not. Doesn't Jesus exist to make our lives easy? To grant us forgiveness whenever we slip up? To pave the way for us to go to heaven one day? No questions asked? My friend, if that's what you've been led to believe, then you've been sold a false Jesus. The true Jesus gets under the skin of the sinner. He makes us feel uncomfortable in our self-congratulatory existence. Jesus stirs us up so that we are moved. We're moved either towards him in repentance from our sin or away from him because we dare not risk having our evil deeds exposed. So where are you? You're at church this morning. But are you moving towards Jesus in repentance or away from him? I mean, in your daily life, when you're at home or at work or enjoying your hobbies and leisure pursuits, are you trusting in Jesus? Are you hanging on every word that he says? Because his words are light and life to you. Jesus said that God's word is truth. That's the big claim. As Jesus prepared to go to the cross. And yes, that was the plan all along. God's great salvation plan was to enter human history in time and space. To say, here I am. Here I am, the one that I've prophesied about. My people have prophesied all about throughout generations. Here I am. Come and worship. Come and worship through me. As Jesus prepared, he prayed his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. And he said, Father, sanctify them. He meant his people, his followers. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. We want to know what objective truth is. Ultimate truth. It's God's word. It's God's words of life for us. Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Every word inspired by him and written down in this unique, wonderful book. Every word is true, friends. And every word is given to sanctify us. To make us holy and righteous and pleasing to God. Because chiefly, it reveals the key truth to us. The truth that God made us in his image. But we did not desire him. We preferred instead to rebel and crown ourselves king or queen of our lives. And as long as we remain in that rebellion, we will move away from Jesus instinctively. Lord, have mercy. Lord, change me. Father God, bring me to my knees. Today of all days, at the foot of your cross, 
to be washed away, sorry, to be washed clean, my sins washed away, that I might stand in the company of the redeemed. And so that every stain of sin, every righteous charge as a lawbreaker, because yes, each of us has so comprehensively broken God's law in thought and speech and in our behaviour. Lord, wash me with your blood and take away my sin. Hosanna, O greater son of David, save me. Friends, this is the truth of the gospel. This is the key to life. Finally, testimony. Those of us familiar with the story will know that as Jesus was being tried by the Jewish religious council, the Sanhedrin, his greatest disciple, Peter, was busy testifying about Jesus. Testifying what? That he didn't know him. Peter was busy cowering and trying to save his own skin. What about us? What is our testimony when our friends and co-workers asked us what we did at the weekend? Did we go to church? We have the testimony of the chief priests and their renter mob demanding Jesus' crucifixion, but unable to say why they wanted rid of him other than he claimed to be God. And we have the testimony of the Roman centurion who observed Jesus' death. Mark's Gospel, chapter 15 and verse 39. Truly this man was the Son of God. What's going to be our testimony about Jesus, friends? The Gospels record the testimonies of the eyewitnesses. Some of them, like Peter, allow the uncomfortable reality of his shifting allegiance, of his lack of conviction to be recorded for, our, for posterity, for our benefit, to show us that often we are a mixture of determination and cowardice. We are bold, but we are afraid. We struggle to accept the truth. And friend, this is why Jesus alone had to go to the cross and pay for sin. He alone was the pure, righteous and obedient son. The son we could not and have not been. And then there's the testimony of John, the beloved apostle who we've read today. The one who bears witness to us from through the pages of his gospel account, aided by the very Spirit of God. And this John tells us, and every one of Christ's stumbling and broken redeemed, he tells us that Jesus died to save sinners. And yes, we were numbered among the worst of them. We are sinful men. We even turned our backs on Jesus. Yet he loved us and he died for us in order that we might know forgiveness and life in his name. His precious and most wonderful name. 
He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth. That you also may believe. For these things took place. That the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones bones will be broken. And again another scripture says. They will look on whom they have pierced. Friend when you look on Jesus. Who and what do you see? Do you see your Lord and your God? Do you see your sin nailed to the cross of Christ? You see, we cannot avoid the truth forever. If we try to avoid it, we will only find ourselves in the same sticky situation that Pilate did. May the good Lord help us to humble ourselves, to confess our guilt and to repent of our sins. They laid Jesus' body in a stone-cold tomb. Where will you leave Jesus today? Because as we'll see in our next instalment, the truth has the power to turn everything around. Let's bow our heads in prayer.